Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the tone and tenor of the discourse uh, of the various market pundits and Wall Street economists seems to be that this recovery is on track. I guess there were some doubts about the recovery until the Federal Reserve laid all those doubts to rest based on the confidence with which they discussed the possibility or maybe even the likelihood that the Fed would raise interest rates in June, maybe July. And the confidence persists despite the the drumbeat of consistently weaker than expected numbers. Now, once in a while, we're getting numbers that are better than the forecast, but the beats are in the minority. Most of the data, and I'm going to get into some of the data that's just come out since my last podcast, but most of this data has been bad. Now, sometimes we get a number that superficially is better than the forecast, but as soon as you actually delve beneath a very thin surface, you see a lot of negative details that don't really make the headlines. People focus on the good news, which is the the headline beat, but they overlook a lot of the things buried beneath the surface that are actually quite bad. But before I get into the news, I want to talk a little bit about Janet Yellen, because on Friday, she gave a speech and she took some Q&A. This, I guess, was about monetary policy, the Fed. She spoke at the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Studies at Harvard. Right, So very, very prestigious university. In fact, she went to prestigious universities herself, undergrad, graduate, Uh, She studied economics. I mean, economics is Janet Yellen's passion. She said several times how much she loves economics, right? So this is not just her job. It is a labor of love. She has dedicated her life in academia and her professional career. I'm not actually sure if she's had a job uh, where she didn't work for the central bank or a a college uh, teaching. I don't know if she's ever actually had a, a legitimate a productive type job. I think she's worked in academia or for government her entire life. 
but she's dedicated to economics. And, you know, for somebody who has completely dedicated herself to one subject, it's amazing how little she actually knows about that subject. And that's despite going to our nation's best university. Right? I mean, if going to the Ivy League schools and getting, you know, doctorates or masters, whatever she's got in economics, if you can't understand economics, then imagine the people that went to, you know, lesser quality colleges. What about the people that studied economics at a community college? I mean, how little must they know if Janet Yellen, what was she at Yale or wherever she went? Um, you know, if, if she knows so little, what about the people that went to lesser schools? If, in fact, you know, the people that went to lesser schools might actually know more because it might be these upper echelons of universities are so deeply wedded to Keynesianism that you probably actually get a better economics education if you go to a community college. I mean, I would argue that you would get a better economic education if you just skip college. Because I think common sense, a lot of economics is common sense, yet they have to wring all the common sense out of you in order to indoctrinate you with all the nonsense that's coming out of uh, Keynesian economics. And, you know, one of the things that Janet Yellen said during her speech uh, was that she believed in, in capitalism, but that the government needed to be there to protect everything because of all of the problems. She said that capitalism is prone to breakdowns that cause mass unemployment and that we need government or the central bank to save capitalism from itself, which, of course, is complete nonsense because capitalism is not prone to breakdowns, nor is it prone to mass unemployment. In fact, it's just the opposite. Capitalism is very stable. It doesn't mean there isn't a cyclical nature to the economy, although the cyclicality is much less pronounced in the absence of the Fed. Maybe it would be uh, relegated to individual industries rather than the entire economy. There's always going to be a degree of creative destruction going on within the economy. But overall, I think the economy progresses quite smoothly and it continues to progress, you know, economic advancement in the absence of government. But when you have these huge breakdowns and mass unemployment, it's always the result of government interference, the type of interference that Janet Yellen champions, the type of interference that she is orchestrating herself. You know, when you look back at the Great Depression, right, which is probably what she's thinking about, why did we have so much unemployment during the Great Depression? It wasn't because of capitalism. No, it was because of government. It was because of the policies that government implemented in the aftermath of the stock market crash, which, of course, only crashed because the Federal Reserve inflated a bubble. You know, go read Murray Rothbard's The Great Depression. He does an excellent analysis of all the things that Hoover did in the aftermath of that crash that caused the skyrocketing that we had in the unemployment rate and why the unemployment rate persisted at such high levels throughout the Second World War. It wasn't because of a failure of capitalism. It was because of a failure of government. Capitalism would have prevented all the mass unemployment that government created. And of course, one of the chief architects of that type of destruction is the Federal Reserve. So it's very ironic that Janet Yellen is saying that, hey, we need the central banks uh, to clean up the messes that capitalism is prone to creating when it's the opposite. It's the Federal Reserve that creates the messes 
and then it cleans up its own messes, but it doesn't actually clean them up. It actually makes them messier. It kind of disguises the mess for a while so you don't realize uh, that nothing's been cleaned up. And that's where we are right now in, in this process. Now, one of the things that Janet Yellen admitted again, and at least she admits this, is that neither herself nor anyone else at the Fed understood or saw the risks posed by the, the housing market. In fact, they didn't even realize that it was a bubble. So uh, the, Yellen acknowledges that. Of course, when she was nominated for Fed chairman and, and President Obama introduced her as being the one who was warning about the crisis, I mean, she let him go on and on. She didn't interrupt him and say, excuse me, Mr. President, uh, I didn't do that. I mean, maybe you're talking about Peter Schiff, uh, but you know, I, I was not sounding the alarm. If anything, I was trying to defuse the alarms that people like Peter Schiff were sounding because I told everybody that everything was okay and there was nothing to worry about. No, she was. She accepted uh, the, the false uh, congratulations for something she didn't actually do. But at least, you know, on her own, you know, when she talks, she doesn't pretend uh, that she saw this coming the way President Obama and some of her fans uh, in the media like to pretend. You know, if you haven't watched my YouTube videos, Janet Yellen Exposed, and there's two parts. I noticed a lot of people watch part one and they didn't go and watch part two. So you got to watch both parts, part one and part two. And if you've watched part one and you didn't see part two, go and get it. But I completely expose all the nonsense about how Janet Yellen uh, was warning about the housing bubble. And if we had only listened to Janet Yellen, uh, we wouldn't have had this problem. You know, she was the one person at the Fed that, that saw everything coming. And, you know, gee, if, we, if she would have been chairman, uh, then everything would have been great. I basically completely uh, put that to rest using her own statements. In fact, ironically, it's the very speeches that everybody credits her for warning about the crisis. It's those speeches that prove that not only did she not warn about the price crisis, but she went out of her way to say that the people who were warning about a crisis were wrong, that there was nothing to worry about. That's Janet Yellen. But of course, the real takeaway is if Janet Yellen and her cronies at the Fed were oblivious to the unseen risks associated with the housing market, what about the current risks that they don't see? Because this bubble that we have now is much bigger than the last one, and they don't see this one either. And the consequences from these risks, these unseen risks, are even larger than the risks that they didn't see in the smaller bubble that preceded this one. So that is the real takeaway that, you know, what makes us so confident when she could admit, yeah, I didn't see the last crisis, but I'm going to see the next one. Why? I mean, she didn't learn anything from the last one. She certainly isn't any smarter. If anything, she's even more oblivious because rather than acknowledging the Fed's culpability in that crisis, all they did is deny it and scapegoat it and look for false causes. And now they basically passed legislation and are focusing on causes that had nothing to do with the actual event, which in my mind makes them even less likely to see the next iceberg uh, than they were able to see the last. So let me get to some of the economic data that is largely being ignored and we keep getting the data. I'll start with the data that we got last week and work our way up to the data this week. First of all, one piece of good news came out on Thursday, which was the durable good number, because the headline number was a big beat. The consensus was for an increase of 
and we got an increase of 3.4, and they even revised up the the, uh, the prior month. But when you look beneath the surface of that big jump, almost all of it was aircraft, civilian aircraft. And this tends to be very, very cyclical. You know, Boeing gets a big order, and now all of a sudden the durable goods jumps up. But this is a very volatile component. So you take that out, you take out the transportations, and the number was pretty much bang on expectations. They were looking for an increase of 0.4, and that's what they got. They got 0.4. So overall, the number wasn't good. If you look at the core capital goods number, it was minus 0.8, which is a you know big drop uh, from from the prior prior month. So that core number was extremely weak, and the year over year decline in core capital goods was minus five percent. And they revised the prior month from minus 2.4 to minus 5. So these are some very, very disturbing numbers that really show some underlying weakness, despite the fact that you got this pop in aircraft orders that is not going to continue. We know that historically. I mean, this happens once in a while. uh, and, And so I look at the core numbers really as being more indicative of what's going on in the economy. Uh, than uh, the number that we just got on on the headline. Yet nobody talked about that. Also on on Thursday, the Kansas City Fed manufacturing index came out. Another negative print. I'm not sure how many negative prints we've had in a row, but April was minus four and May was minus five. I mean, so this is another negative number in a Kansas City manufacturing number. Again, manufacturing is the most important segment of the economy, even though it's the small segment, right? It's much smaller than the service sector. It generates exportable goods. It helps minimize our massive trade deficit. And the jobs that are created in the manufacturing sector are the good blue-collar jobs. I mean, the service sector generates low-paying part-time jobs, you know, by and large. I mean, sure, there are some quality uh, service sector jobs, but not if you're, you know, not if you're not that bright or not that well-educated. I mean, the blue-collar working guy, if he's working in the service sector, I mean, maybe he's getting minimum wage or just a little bit more. But the guys working in manufacturing, those guys are making much more money, $20 an hour, $30 an hour, more benefits. So the fact that we keep on getting these weak manufacturing numbers is a big negative. Now, the GDP number came out on Friday, and this was the final revision for the first quarter. And they were supposed to revise that up to 0.9 from the original estimate of 0.5, but they they revised it to 0.8. So it was an increase, but not quite as much as people were looking for. But nobody seemed to care about that. But here's an interesting part about it. One of the reasons that we went up to 0.8 was because the government took down the deflator from 0.7, which was the original estimate of the deflator, and they lowered it a tick to 0.6. And so that added on an extra point to the GDP. So if they had left it the same, it wouldn't have been up 0.8, it would have been up 0.7, which would have been a bigger miss. But the more important uh, aspect of this is, what are they kidding? I mean, 0.6, 0.7, that's supposed to be the annualized rate of inflation. There is no way that annualized inflation in the first quarter of this year is running at six-tenths of 1% or seven-tenths of 1%. There is no way that that can possibly be true. I mean, all the prices are going up now, including gas prices, which are going way up. So how the overall number can still be so low 
in this environment. Prices were up pretty much for everything in the first quarter. Uh, it can't be this low. And so if we had a real inflation number, or even closer to real than this one, what if the government admitted that inflation was actually running at a 2% annualized pace? If that was the case, we would have had a big negative number. We would have had a contraction. In order to have a positive number, they had to assume very, very low rates of inflation. So if inflation was 1.5% or higher instead of 0.6, 1.5 annualized, then we had a negative number because 1.4 would be exactly zero because we had 0.8, but the deflator is 0.6. So if we had 1.4 inflation, if it was real, 0.8, we'd, we'd be at no growth, zero. But anything higher than that, is a contraction. And obviously, obviously it's higher than that, but nobody wants to admit that it is higher than that. Also, we got some consumer sentiment numbers that came out on Friday. Again, weaker than expected, right? Despite uh, the supposed upbeat economy, and the consensus was for 95.5, and instead we went down to 94.7. 95.8 was the original estimate. The actual number for April was quite a bit lower. So the the consumer sentiment for the month of May did represent a big increase over the consumer sentiment number for April. It's just that the increase was not as large as everybody had expected. Corporate profits also were announced. Year-over-year corporate profits, uh, the estimate for the Q1, pretty much un- unchanged, but minus 3.6%. Minus 3.6% decline in corporate profits for the first quarter. Not a, a pretty picture if you are banking on a real economic recovery. But the picture didn't get any brighter today. No, we didn't get any bad news on Monday because the markets were closed for a holiday. But we got some bad news today. And I'll start out with the early morning number, which was personal income and spending. And here we actually had a beat on the consumer spending number because they were looking for an increase of 07 which was a pretty big improvement on the prior month where it was just 0.1. Well, they revised the prior month down from up 0.1 to zero, to flat. But the current month, it was up 1%. And that was a much bigger jump than had been expected. Although personal incomes came out at up 0.4, which is exactly what the consensus was and was exactly what we, we had for the prior month. But obviously, if spending jumped and incomes did not, Savings went down. In fact, the savings rate took a hit. I think it's the lowest savings rate of the year. But what did they spend the money on? Well, the biggest increase was in energy, energy spending. Why? Well, maybe people started to run their air conditions, but more likely it's because people were spending more money on gasoline. Gasoline prices went up quite a bit uh, in the, the month of April. Pretty big jump. And so everybody buying gasoline had to spend more money. That is a big reason for the spike in consumer spending. And believe me, that is not a sign of a good economy. By the way, oil prices now are teetering with $50 a barrel. We've traded above it a couple of times now. haven't really closed above it yet. But uh, we're moving higher on oil prices, and that means it's going to continue to push gasoline prices up. And this is not good news. The fact that Americans are digging into their savings uh, to pay for more expensive energy, this is not a positive sign for the economy. But more negative signs we got today. Chicago PMI. 
This came in at 49.3. That is a contraction. Anything below 50 is indicative of recession. And the prior month of April, we were at 50.4. And they were looking for an increase of 50 to 50.7. We didn't. We went the other way. We went down to 49.3. And again, all the subcomponents here are very, very weak. Then we got a consumer confidence number way below, way below. This is May consumer confidence. Last month, it was at 94.7. And that was a slight upward revision from 94.2. But everybody thought that May, we would get a reading of 97. That's a big jump. Instead, it collapsed all the way down to 92.6. Again, that is a huge decline in consumer confidence. And the Federal Reserve really pays a lot of attention to this because they're looking for the propensity to spend. And a confident consumer will spend more than a consumer who's worried. But you know, what I don't like is false confidence. People shouldn't be spending money because they have false confidence. If they really knew how bad things were, they would be saving money, which ultimately is much better for the economy than just going out and spending or going into debt, and then you end up losing your job. Now, we also got a negative reading today on the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Survey. We had a number, the production level number was minus 13.1, and general activity index was at minus 20.8. I mean, that's a big jump from minus 13.9 in the uh, the prior month. In fact, that is the 17th consecutive negative reading for that number. I mean, 17 in a row. I, I don't know if this is a, 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 a record. We'd have to check with Guinness about that. But this seems like 17 months in a row seems like a long time to go without a positive number from Dallas Fed Manufacturing Survey. The bottom line is we continue to get numbers that suggests that the economy is far weaker than what the Fed believes. Certainly, it's much weaker than it was in mid-December when they raised interest rates and were forecasting that GDP would grow by 3% in the first quarter. And even with these bogus inflation numbers, it grew by less than 1% in the first quarter. And the Fed is still acting as if they're optimistic on the second quarter. But all the data, or most of the data that's come out since the Fed expressed this optimism has been on the negative side. And again, Janet Yellen spoke again on Friday, optimistic about the economy. Yeah, we're probably going to be raising rates sometime this summer, maybe June, maybe July, right? Getting everybody set up for a rate hike. Why is this going on? And again, the only thing that I can think of is it's politics, politics, not just the Fed's credibility. That's not what Yellen is worried about. It's the elections. It's Hillary Clinton, assuming she doesn't get indicted and is still the uh, Democratic nominee. But even if it isn't Hillary, even if they can get old Joe Biden into the race because they don't want Bernie Sanders, but whoever whoever it is, uh, they want to help the the Democrat get reelected. They don't want to hand the election uh, to to Donald Trump. So it's it would be so embarrassing for Obama, and so you know embarrassing, I guess by extension by the associative property to the Democratic nominee if the Fed were to admit that the economy was weak, that it needed more help, that we weren't out of the woods. I mean, even if she was able to blame it on some external factor having absolutely nothing to do with the president, the president still might get the blame. So I think Janet Yellen wants to do everything she can to try to pretend that the economy is much healthier than it really is so she doesn't have to come to the rescue until after the election. The problem might be is if the numbers get so bad 
And the Hillary Clinton is so far behind in the polls or whoever that they may have to deliver the stimulus before the election rather than after. But of course, once the election is over, uh, then there's no reason uh, not to admit the obvious because the political stakes are no longer as high. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold videocast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold videocast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.